A podcast network. I'm Carolyn Kane, and you're listening to Radio 8-Ball with Andros Jones. Radio 8-Ball, give us a shake. We're in the studio, tempting fate. Putting questions to the songs which we will randomly select. With the help of our friend, Synchronicity Radio 8-Ball Give us a shake Radio 8-Ball Give us a shake It's a Radio 8-Ball show Welcome back to Radio 8 Ball, the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. I'm your host, Andras Jones, hanging out with our musical guest, Joe Bourdais. Howdy. Howdy, Joe. How you doing? Great. I'm pretty excited about our next guest. He's one of Radio 8 Ball's favorites. He's been a guest on the show as a musician. He's been a guest on the show tributing other artists. He's been a guest on the show asking questions with people he's invited to be on the show. We've talked about him a whole bunch. Welcome back to Radio... Oh, and his music ends each of these segments. A song from his self-titled first solo record, Bart Davenport, ends each of these segments. You'll hear it at the end of this segment, and it's... If you were a fan of the show, you know what Sonic Candy that little track is. Welcome to Radio 8 Ball. We love you, Bart Davenport. Hello, Andras. Oh, welcome back. I try to think about recreating that live, <laughs> you know, and it's like, <laughs> I, can't, I don't think I could do it anymore. I don't think I could do I mean, I don't think I could do that. I was younger then. Oh, it's, it's like some Beach Boys kind of stuff. It was, yeah. I don't, have, I don't have that kind of range anymore. Oh, Old ass man that I am. Oh, I don't doubt your range for a second. You're just being um, modest. No, I'm not. I've, there's really, I've lost. There's certain songs I just don't do anymore. Yeah, the notes are too high. Did you ever do those? I mean, those are those seem like total. We, we were talking about Pete Townsend. Those sound. We're talking about this little thing. It's like it's called Vox One and Two and mm-hmm. the name. And they right. are you familiar with these tracks we're talking no. about, Joe? No. First album he might not have. First it. record, and he has these little sonic. They're almost like the Pete Townsend. They're like the key, like the yeah. the synthesizer stuff from Who's Next and Lifehouse, except yeah. that it's vocal, and so it's like a. It's like a Beach Boys thing that feels like a town, like a Who Townsend thing. Yeah, we it's took a vocal a, thing, but it's triggered. Yeah, a synth trigger. Yeah. yeah, we took like a really lush, multi-tracked, like four-part vocal harmony of just oohs and ahs, and uh, made that super thick by like doubling each part. So it's like eight voices or that's so. Your f- that's your first record? Yeah, and cool. then it's like run through effects and then chopped up and turned into kind of like uh, electronic music. Oh, but wow. With that Beach Boys style harmony. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's some weird stuff. That record yeah. is a, that's a, that record's a masterpiece, Bart. I mean. I should have quit then. I, uh, they, they, they're all great, but to me, you came out of the gate so strong on the first one. After the kinetics, after like you were, you definitely had this thing. I mean, people 
what's Bart going to do on his own? And I was definitely like, I'd been following all the all the way along, and that record, every song on it, and then those. I think the thing that gives it that masterpiece quality are those interstitials that you just feel like what's because the way that they lead into the next to the to the next songs. I think of uh, is it snapshot. Uh, Hmm. Snapshot. What's the song about the the Polaroid? What's the song about the photograph on that record? Oh, Terry's song. Okay, yeah, and that song, the way that comes out of, and then you just hop into that. Anyway, I love that record. I love it. I haven't actually. I need makes me want to go back and listen to it. It's been out of my shuffle for a while. But, Put it uh, back in the shuffle. Oh yeah, stream it. Uh, on a recent show, I did a show where I covered a bunch of songs by artists who have been on the show, and I covered a Bart Davenport song. But that, but I it was I covered Airwaves, which is I which I love. But the reason I covered it was because someone else had figured out the chords for me, so I had a, a chord sheet. But there were songs from that record that I wanted to do. I would actually do any of the songs from that record. Who figured out the chords for you? Uh, my buddy Scott Taylor. When we did, it wasn't John our? No, no, no. Back in no, John didn't do the hard lift. The reason we got so the, you're at referencing. So in uh, 2000, Bumbershoot 2009 in Seattle, we did. Uh, we had the Radio Eight Band do a show where they were the musical guest at Bumbershoot, and the Radio Eight Band was John Hour of the Posies, my buddy Scott Taylor from a band called The Hard Way, and a drummer named Chad Austinson, who are great friends of mine, and. It was a similar idea. They were all co- they were covering. We had I think eight songs on the board, and there there were four songs by them and four songs that were covered. And one was Airwaves. And my buddy Scott, he just did all the he did all the work to figure out the chord charts so that John could just come in and sing and play them. But I have to say, I like my version. No offense to John, but I think when you love a song, like he just he knew he liked the song, but he was doing John Hour's version of the song. And I was doing my version of Bart's version of the song. And I just love getting into your, you know, when you have a singer that you really like and you get to sing their vocal lines, you're like, oh, and singing this along with this my whole life. It feels like, and now I get to sing it. And it's like, That's why I come so naturally to you, because you've been singing along. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's like singing a Beatles cover. You know, oh, yeah, okay, I can, I can mm-hmm. hit that, because I've heard the best guy, the person who's best at it do it, and I've sung with it for my whole life, so... Yeah, so, uh, well, welcome. Welcome, Bart. I always feel like that I want to do, I want to cover other people's songs of people and my peers, like friends of mine who are songwriters, and I want to, like, cover their songs. And I always had that weird mixed feeling of, like, I want to make this my own. I want to sing this as if it, as if that's how I say, how I tell this story. And I... And then I have that moment of panic in my mind. Well, what if they don't like the way I <laughs> How could anyone say not like the, it? You know what I mean? They you know? might not. They might be very uncomfortable with it. I don't know. Well, we're all songwriters here. Just, you know, I don't cover my friends as much as I say I want to. Well, have any of you ever had your song covered by someone and you're like, ugh? Uh, no. I mean... Just once. He's like, mm-hmm. just once recently. <laughs> 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 no, it was so. That's such a weird song that I th- found it quite charming. Of course, uh, yeah, no one would cover that song. It's it's one chord the whole time. It's, it's, it's yeah. so much about the track. It was like it's the dress. It's like you took like an electronic pop song that's mostly about the beats and the bass line, and you did it on acoustic guitar. Yeah, but then you really drew attention to s- the lyrics, and some of them 
uh, I was then recalling that I liked them a lot because I, I have never performed that song live, ever. It's a joy. It's so a joy. It was strictly a studio recording that I made. I don't know if we words. said the title. It's called Airwaves. Beautiful song. And it came up as an amazing answer in that segment. Airwaves. Oh. Airwaves. That's it so my much impression of Andras. Oh, yeah? Sing, singing your version. Well, He does it yeah. kind of like, um, you know, if, if, yeah, if like Michael Stipe did it, I, I think, you know, <laughs> I feel like that would be how it would sound. Okay, I'll and take I've that. always wanted Michael Stipe to sing my songs yeah. too. So. I was going for Thunderclap Newman, but okay, uh, Michael he's Stipe. Like, <laughs> you know, he's like, "That's me in the corner." Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hard that's R. Can we talk R. about? Yeah, hard that's R. the Brian. It's the yeah, Brian Wilson the other, Mike Love thing. The other hard R band is uh, what is it? Uh, it's not BTO. It's uh, it's the other one. Working overtime. That's the one. Ario. That's BTO. It's, no, yeah. Ario's Ario Speedwagon is the hard R band. No, but Taking Care of Business is by BTO. Am I not? You've got right? that right. Working but... overtime. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I mean, they're, it's, both, they're all hard R's. So this the thing's like people, the hard R. Okay, I understand that. Like we're from California, we have a hard R in just. I you know, for me to leave it out would be really phony of me because I mean I grew up in this yeah this west coast sounding voice so it's just but uh, I've always uh, liked the sound of soft R in songs and uh, and that could be rhythm and blues or it could just be someone from the east coast or it could be obviously British mm -hmm. all the great you know, uh, singers from over there. So, but there's a lot of contexts in which harder. You think it's harder. You would here. say, yeah, you would use the soft yeah. R. But many of us who grew up in uh, with a hard R accent when we're speaking uh, sing soft R. It's just uh, lots and lots of us do. Ba 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 ran. Ba 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 ba. And Mike Mike loves R was much harder than Brian Wilson. I know, I know. Much much harder. That's what he said. And here's an interesting one that musicologists, music historians could maybe get into. <clears throat> but you have the entertainment business was based in the East Coast uh, with radio and with the theater and with Hollywood and, and the movies being on the West Coast, it slowly started, the entertainment business started shifting. But for many decades, the mainstream voice that you wanted your characters in your film, if they were to be sort of respectable people, you know, and not like some country bumpkins or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, those characters, those actors often spoke with an East Coast style soft R mm -hmm. or even a quasi-British soft R. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. And um, so they'd be like, from oh, that era there was finishing school accents as well. Yeah, where they gave you soft R. Yeah. And they'd be like, well, darling, I don't know. But like, so uh, at some point, right, television moves from the East Coast to the West Coast and Film is already in the West Coast. Popular music, which had been very East Coast-centric with the Brill Building and all of that, Phil Spector leaves New York 
comes to L.A. and along with him, slowly but surely, he Goff- brings his R. Goffin and King, mm-hmm. all them, they all come over, right? So suddenly, now the West Coast starts to take over as more of the entertainment center, whereas before New York really was holding on. And and so uh, when that happens, it just happens right around the same time as the Beach Boys. Right. right. And the Beach Boys are huge in those other. Actually, yeah. the Beach Boys are really huge in England and yeah. in New, like yeah. for all these other people who are like, oh, yeah. so. What I'm wondering is because when you listen to early rock and roll, you know, of course, a lot of it was rhythm and blues, you know, uh, with a new name. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those songs, uh, whether, you know, depending on who it was, a lot of it was soft R. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I think Chuck Berry used a hard R because he was always kind of affecting a bit of a country music flavor. Mm-hmm. In his influences. Right. So he's pretty early on in rock and roll to sing with the hard R. But my question is, is Mike Love the first... This isn't my question to the Oracle. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that'd be, that'd be really... That'd be is, great. Was Mike Love the first rock and roll hit maker to sing with a decidedly California accent? And that might be the first time because it just keeps going on after that. You got like... right. You know, it influenced everyone else. Yeah, and then yeah. when you get like America or, or or Steve Miller Band, there's so many records after the Beach Boys where the hard R on the pop song, the California hard R is like super present. The yeah. Birds, The Birds, Roger McGuinn. It, there's a lot of it after. Tom Petty, is he a hard R guy? I think he's a hard R guy. He switches, which is really Because <laughs> he's, a, you know what, but I think it's he also, switches up. There's, a, yeah. there's a thing, like, you know it, as a singer, it's easier to get into these places than to get, like, when you're, See, oh, I don't, when I it's just, open not up. Not for me. I find like, hard R harder to oh, sing. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, it's just like an E, a high E, it's easier to sing than a high ah, right? Huh. But see, Petty... He'll do soft R in the verse and hard R in the chorus. So he'll be like, yeah, you know, sometimes I just keep uh, thinking I'm not going to mount to nothing and the verse. And then he gets to the chorus. He's like, here comes my girl. Oh, Jesus, you're killing me, Bart. I love you. So this is amazing. This he is exactly- literally switches up. He sounds like one guy on the verse, and he's a complete. He's he's like Van Morrison on the verse and Roger McGuinn on the chorus. That's awesome. And he just does that. Because he's Tom, he can just do that. Yeah, you know. But anyways, oh, this is—I've never. This is one of those things. I love why I love this show. Hanging out with songwriters. This is a conversation that is so. But because songs are so universal, anyone who knows music can get this. Yeah. But unless you are like, I've never even thought of this before. But I realize now that I kind of have. Yeah. But that's great. But I think Joe actually has. A very uh, distinct vocal style that I think is super rare in 2019. And you do often remind me of uh, Gordon Lightfoot, for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you sound like Gordon Lightfoot. I think his voice is a lot darker and lower. Mm -hmm. um, But, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, But there's something to do with the phrasing or that it's just that there's an earnest gentlemanly quality that you have in your voice that I think is so rare. Those are great descriptors. This century, I think back in the 60s and 70s, more people uh, sang with that kind of, uh, uh, yeah, with that quality. It sounds like a real gentleman is is 
delivering this song, you know. And well, I'm just trying to hit the notes. Basically, is all that happens. <laughs> what do you I'm think about that song? Trying real hard to hit the notes. That's all. I, you know, I, in my younger days, I had more affectation. I mm. don't consider what I do now to be as much of an affectation. It's you. Everything yeah. everybody yeah. does is an affectation. Is there's always a little bit, isn't but, there? But um, yeah, uh, you know, I loved, uh, I loved so many great singers. But you only get the voice that you're given. You can work on it, but you got what you got. So, I don't know. In my younger days, I was trying to sing rock and roll, and uh, and I I couldn't get the aggression, couldn't get the tone, couldn't get the volume. Uh, then I tried singing country music. It's like, well, I'm not, you know, that's not my accent. Like that's not me. That's horseshit. I'm, right, right. I'm bullshitting, you know. Right. And I still that still bugs me. Uh, um, well, can so I... I'm singing in a new in a neutral. I'm told it's an Oakland accent by a few people, uh, but yeah. that would make sense. I was born at Berkeley Med Center. Um, wow. uh, I never lived in Oakland though. Um, well, that see that see now that's an, an interesting thing now. Um, because when you're saying that you were younger and it's kind of more of a, a maybe a harder-edged kind of rock and roll feeling mm-hmm. was something you aspired to or related to on some level and wanted to project that. And um, as you tried to do that, it never quite felt like you could pull it off or something. But... Um, Maybe as uh, you know, your musical journey continued on. You just also simultaneously became interested in uh, some of the less rocking stuff. Maybe sort of the folk rock music, country rock music, mm-hmm. things that um, didn't quite require you to pose as much as a badass. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. And um, I wonder if there were some singers that represent uh, something that crosses over in between. Because I think of Graham Parsons. He really was so unpretentious with his voice in a lot of ways. And he could do some rock and roll tunes, and it was so cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. It didn't really rock. It wasn't it aggressive. It wasn't sinister. He did, no there was aggression. no evil in it. Yeah. But it was cute, and it was earnest, and he sounded like uh, honest. Like you know what I mean? He sounded well, the like, enthusiasm was 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 palpable. Yeah. For uh, listeners, can you like just throw out a touchstone of a song that you're thinking of? Yeah, like what what one is a uh, when when you probably know better than me. You may be more familiar with it, but when does Graham kind of switch gears into some of the more slightly up tempo stuff? Like he does. Yeah. The, see, they were not. They were none of them were his greatest songs. So, uh, but but those but, Stone songs that he maybe helped to influence, but then he covered them, right? Uh, well, and it's really Wild weird. Horses, not- notably. Wild Horses, yeah. and it's weird because you're used to Mick, who comes with all that attitude, and, right? And, and you know, you know, a certain amount of of affectation. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, he's brilliant at it, but I mean, you know, let's face it, that is right a thing. There is a certain amount of shtick. That comes with that, and when you hear Graham do it, it's like, well, this is just a good song, and yeah. 
and he has that pure sounding voice that yeah. just like sounds like a guy. Well, he has a, the mournful quality mm, that yeah. Mick isn't that mournful. What does but he have to be mournful about? The song is extremely. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he's got something. Although Keith, <laughs> we all got our things. Keith talked about how uh, he wrote the chorus. And that he wanted it to be a love song about how he was with his lady and everything was going great, and wild horses couldn't drag him away from that. Right. But then he gives, as he often would do, he gave Mick the verses to write, and Mick is having troubles with Marianne. He's having, you know, Mick Mick's a love life at that moment was not happy. Right. So then you get this funny mixture of It's like, incongruous, right? It's actually totally incongruous, yeah. and yet they make it seem as if it was, you know, that somehow <laughs> right. the two of them put it together and it works perfectly. Yeah. Well, I, I want to get to your question, but I yeah. do but I do want to throw out something that came out, because <clears throat> we're talking about the Stones here, came out in an earlier episode, our episode with Willie Wisely. He was saying that sometimes he listens to the Stones' 60s singles and he thinks, there's just a there's a, a lot of chords in these songs and I'm not even sure if the Keith Richards even knows how to play chords. And he's like, he has, like he put up this idea that I had just never thought of and it, I, I haven't been able to let, my mind hasn't been able to let it go. He's like, he's like, I think that they had writers working with them in the 60s. That is absolutely false. The, 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 I, okay, I, but... I'm I'm sure it's I, I'm sure it is false, but there is some there is a logic to it that is is fanciful to think about because it made me think, wow, what if all of these, all of those like mid '60s like sexist singles from the Stones were actually were written by this craftsman song craftswoman song song songster. I know, I know. You're, you're the look. I it's, wish listeners could see the look that Bart's giving me. He's like, exactly. Okay, you, you can hear the tone. Okay, it's preposterous. The thing about that yes. people don't, it, the the thing that people overlook, is that Keith Richards went, you know, through a transformation where he really wanted to pare down to something, yeah, simple and good. In this certain period when he switched to only five strings on the guitar and open Open banjo tuning and all that. And he made a conscious... Which was open G? Yeah. Yeah. And he made a conscious choice to try and actually just really distill raw rock and roll feeling into songs during that period where he switched over to doing that. But all that earlier time... In the 1960s, before he got there, he was just playing standard tuning and trying to be like the Beatles and have hit songs. And hit songs like Bus Stop by the Hollies or, you know, uh, you know, freaking pick any Beatles song like yeah. Help. They had a lot of chords in yeah. 1965. People had a lot of chords in their songs and Keith was just doing what everyone else was doing. And at some point in the late 60s and early 70s, he started trying to distill down to something new that was more simple. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's a great disrespect to Keith to try and propose that he didn't write his own songs oh, in a way. I, I, and I, 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 well, I, I jump in. I just want to say this is why I brought it up, because it's even though I, I, 
I agree. With, I mean, again, it's like the people who say that Shakespeare didn't write his own thing. It's fanciful to think about. It's an interesting thing. It's an interesting theory to think about. But I think it brings you back to the idea of disrespecting the work that was there because the oh, yeah. the conspiracy theory in this case is far less likely than just what, what you're mm. positing. And that's why I brought it up here because I think that that's a, you know, I wanted to get your take on that. But mm. you're about to say something, Joe. Mick Jagger is totally competent guitar player as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's yeah. just, there's no question that these guys have everything it takes to have written all of that material. Uh, and there's no indication that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that Carol King uh, came up with any of those things. <laughs> okay. uh, and, and mostly because you just sound, because in a lot of ways, they're clearly a step or two steps behind the Beatles. Um, uh, some of them are almost like answer songs to, to Beatles yeah. hits, yeah. but with but with rough edges in the harmony and chord structure that are, that are like... Oh, it's like an, kind of an imitation. Uh, some better, some less, some definitely not as good. Um, but it totally sounds like guys in their early 20s come stringing some chords together yeah. and going, how are we going to fucking do paperback writer? What do we got? <laughs> right. All right, let's keep let's keep it up tempo. Yeah. And, you know? I think that, too, Mick is overlooked as a lyricist because of his, you know, flamboyant, um, stage presence and and all of that, but and and I think uh, people, you know, if you just go karaoke some Stones songs and you have to actually like read the lyrics. Oh yeah, he's so good, <clears throat> and he never gets any props for yeah. it. Some of it is so outrageous and vile. Yeah, that <clears throat> you couldn't do it today. Um, you <laughs> yeah, could not right. write Brown Sugar. Oh no! I I would be terrified to even cover it. Say no right now into this microphone. Say the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. It is beyond your wildest dreams offensive, uh, but in like this uh, mischievous way. Well, and and, it, uh, yeah. uh, and also also revolutionary in the sense that he is exposed. Like he's not saying. Like he's exposed, he's exposing and reveling in, mm-hmm. right? So he's exposing something that's he's both like he's playing he's both sides. He's always the bad guy. Yeah, he's he's Satan. He is a slave driver. He is all kinds of stuff. Yeah, uh, and it the character is done, that he plays in the in the song. It's done like in the perspective of he's like a rascal, like you know their whole persona, like yeah, they're you know. They they flirt with with even Satanism and stuff, yeah, just for fun. Yeah, and that is not because they're Satanist, for fun because yeah. it's, they're supposed to That's... be of, offensive to. Well, any... yeah. and at the same time, this is the thing. So I had I did this thing, uh, you know, in the age where you can download whole discographies. I I always had a, a kind of a, an attitude about the Stones. I'm a Beatles guy. I'm a Who a Who guy. Kings guy. If I had to pick Stones at the time, like when I was at most passionate about music, Stones would have fallen below all those bands. And then I did this project where I was like, I'm not a project, but I, it was like a project for me. I'm like, I'm going to listen. I have all of it. I'm going to listen to the Stones from the first track of the first record through, I guess, probably the uh, Bigger Bang. And so it was like a two week, pro- two or week project because it was the same time I put on music. I just like let it play. And if you listen to them in continuity, 
what you get is that they are the most real band of all of those bands. Like they never, like they're always expanding the form a little bit, but they never stop being a blues. They never stop being a rhythm and blues band, ever. Even when and and the songs that you think that are might be pretentious or you're sick of, in context, when sympathy, I mean, when uh, I can't always get what you can't always get what you want comes on in context, you're like, oh, yes, this is exactly what was needed. And then they don't stay there, and they and they they go back to what they do, which is just being a guitar band. And there's a purity to what they. And I think Bigger Bang is a fucking great record, by the way. Okay. Bigger, check it out. Do you know that record? No. Oh, check it no, out. Never heard it. There's a, there's there's at least there's at least two songs We're all on that. Like we love the Stones. Yeah. There's at least two songs on that record that are. There's a song called "Look What the Cat Dragged In." fucking great and it's a dad song it's all about like singing to this young woman like it's such a dad song but it's so mick it's so like it, it's a total stone song it has a great riff it has the great right. you know and uh and that it and it, it was a, an enlightening moment for me about the stones of like oh these guys who i thought were like they were the exact opposite like i always think about them is that they're they're kind of I don't know. They're just they're crass. They they're they're riding on black culture. They're you know they're just big money rock stars. They're basically rapists, racist assholes. Fuck them. I don't like them. I like the Beatles. I like the Who. I like people who are a little bit more aspirational in their music. But when you listen to them as a band, they just never stop being what they are. Which for that long is fucking you know a lot of respect. So, anyway, we've talked about The Who, we've talked about The Stones, we've talked about uh, Gordon Lightfoot, we've talked about Jim Croce, we've talked about the Ozark Mountain Daredevils and KTEL, and we've talked about the music of Bart Davenport. But now let's get to your question for the Pop Oracle, Bart. We need to to get into this musical divination. You know how it works. What do you got for us? Okay, totally not very related to The Stones, although they did uh, move to France to avoid paying taxes in the early 70s but uh as uh you know it's getting to be tax season right now we got uh you know the deadline in april and uh i still haven't done my taxes for 2018 yet but i'm just getting my 1099s and things together now um but my taxes i've not prepared them yet at all and uh, we've and i still have time of course but you know, we've been, and by the time you air this podcast, it may be past. Yeah, it'll be. It'll be May. It'll be May, so we'll be past tax time. This will be May. I I hope I'm right. This will be May seventh. Right. So, the question won't be. Will, it'll be fine though. But so, the question is won't be quite as timely because we'll be past the tax deadline. But really, <laughs> lots of people... Well, lots of people extend. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. In fact, yeah. I've actually done extension almost every year. So, just because I'm so lazy and slow about getting all my stuff together because I often have, like, a huge stack of 1099. It's confusing, yeah. Because yeah. I'm a musician. Um, but I've been noticing... Uh, on social media how many people are talking about how they got a higher tax bill this this season mm-hmm. and that they uh, are accustomed to getting a refund and they're not getting their refund this year 
for various reasons. And so, and those uh, tax and spend Republicans. Yeah, oh. and so it's it's a tax uh, and don't spend really. Right, <laughs> and it's a uh, you know, and I don't want to get into a, a a long political topic about how obviously Trump and the GOP changed the tax laws. And that went into effect for 2018. And a lot of middle class people, even ones who voted GOP, are now kind of kicking themselves because they're bummed that their tax bill was actually higher than before. Because maybe they didn't really look into all that when they Right. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? They were just like, oh, those guys have my back. But maybe they didn't. I don't know. Uh, the main thing is we should all pay taxes, of course, if you want to, you know, have roads, have and, roads schools. and schools and things. But my question for the Oracle would be this, since I have not prepared my taxes yet, but I plan to soon. Oracle. Eight ball. Tarot cards. Wheel of eight. Coin toss. Whatever it is. Oracle. Will I receive a tax refund for 2018? Ooh, that is a that is a a, a, a question that are the you American a- people are are all we're all wondering, are and we may ten- still be wondering in May. Wait, wait, Joe, do you have a? Clarification? Are you all 1099? No. Okay. Well, so let, let's just let's let's get into this. We don't all we don't know tax law, but we do know. <laughs> That we sometimes get a refund, and we're hoping, we're all hope. no one hopes they don't get a refund. And just full disclosure, I usually get a very small one, because I'm a 1099, uh, you know, yeah. semi-self-employed musician. So I usually don't get a very large refund in the first place, but I usually get some kind of yeah, money a little, back. Yeah, a little something. So... Because you put my, a lot of you put a lot out, right? So my question is, will I, for this very significant tax year, with the tax laws having been changed, will I get my tax refund for 2018? Okay. Well, there are two potential answers to this question. They yes are yes and no. Song number five. Mantra. Mantra. And song number seven, Whistle Stop. Whistle Stop. Mantra and Whistle Stop. And so now we have exhausted the Wheel of Eight. We've used up the Radio Eight cards. We are now down to the binary oracular divination tool, or as you know it, the Radio Eight coin. Now, Bart, I'm going to ask you to flip the Radio 8 coin. If it lands on heads, it's going to, going to be song number five, Mantra. And if it lands on tails, it's going to be song number seven, Whistle Stop. Okay. And now. Okay. Would you flip? Okay, the that's that's Radio 8 coin. What is it? Tails. tails. Whistle, stop. Oh, good. Oh, goody. Do you know that I like that? You can tell that I like that consonant. Stop. I noticed. Stop. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. This is cover number two. Oh, you bastard. <laughs> Sneak in the covers. 
we go. Whistle stop. <laughs> Sorry. This is a Chloris Leachman quality to the way I'm delivering that. Uh, that was the answer from Joe Bourdais to Bart Davenport's question. Will he, and by extension the rest of us, because we're all sort of using his song to you know, explore this question for ourselves, will he uh, receive a tax refund this year after the Republican changes to tax policy? So... Joe, I have, an, I have I already have an idea about this, but how it relates. But Joe, tell us a little a little bit about this song, this cover. Who, this, who whose whose song is this? This is a song written by a guy named Jim Sullivan, uh, and it is on an album that was reissued uh, by Light in the Attic Records, wonderful wonderful company, uh, a few years ago. I can't remember how many years ago. And it was that was the first time I was ever aware of it. Though this album and this artist has been kind of a cult, and I mean a, a way underground 
cult. I mean, his rec- the record was, I believe, only privately pressed. Couldn't have been more than a thousand or a couple or who knows. Anyhow, it's called UFO. Uh, the gentleman was a, played his 12-string guitar. He was a singer-songwriter um, uh, living in Los Angeles with his family. Uh, he had the record independently produced using wrecking, the Wrecking Crew. Uh, had great, great oh, wow. players on it. It was a killer record um, and was shopping it around. He, he ended up doing two records. I don't know. One came out on Playboy Playboy's record label. Uh, I know less about that. Uh, anyhow, he decided at some point that he would have better luck in Nashville and uh, was in the process of driving there by himself uh, when he disappeared and is still a missing person. Uh, they found his car. They found his guitar. They found copies of his records. He, is, he was nowhere to be found. Uh, what makes this more intriguing than uh, your normal tragedy... It's already uh, pretty intriguing. But. What makes it more and so intriguing is that the album is called UFO, and the themes addressed are no less than... Uh, uh, um, the presence of... UFOs, uh, reincarnation, the desire to not have a traditional funeral, to disappear uh, into the ether and never be found. Basically, it's just fodder for the imagination of what happened to him. I really uh, like, I dig that song, UFO. UFO is a great tune. Yeah. 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 By UFO. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, wow. So yeah, and people think that maybe a UFO abducted him, right? Well, it sounds. I mean, it, of course, some people are going to think that. That sounds like it's one of those things where either, either he did that he uh, he uh, was abducted, or something happened to him. And he, the, the songwriter in him, predicted something that would fuck with our consciousness, or he manufactured this his own myth. Right. My my interest in it, uh, uh, aside from the fact that it's just great music from a great era of pop production with um, with the the Wrecking Crew, is just a classic Los Angeles pop sound and story and story but i grew up in the uh you know in the nine all through the 90s i listened to coast to coast am with art bell conspiracy yeah conspiracy theory and paranormal uh radio show and of course the x-files and all that stuff so Mm -hmm. yeah i have this vision you know and art bell broadcast out of pahrump nevada You've got the high mm. desert. You've got Area 51. It's just the, yeah. the storied setting for paranormal activity. And this guy, uh, Art Bell actually did an episode about him and talked to, I believe, his his manager or, or, or the producer. And I can't find that episode. It's not available online. But uh, 
anyhow, I'm, I, I love all that stuff, and it's definitely a tragedy what happened to this gentleman, and he left a family behind. So it's nothing to make, you know, to be frivolous about and say, well, he beamed up. You know, he probably was killed by somebody out yeah. there. Um, yeah. But uh, but at the same time, the fact that he – like I have a friend, Josh Claytonfeld, who uh, – one of my best friends. He died of cancer. You listen to his last record. He didn't know he was he had cancer. But if you listen to the last record, it sounds like someone who knows what's going to happen to him. And I feel like wow. that's part of the thing about songwriting is we do tap into – some we 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 tell truths about ourselves that we don't even that there's no way we could even know. Right. So there's something about that of like whether or not whatever happened, there was something that's in the tracks right. that puts us down that road. Right. And you know, I I respect the idea of of respecting the family, but I also I guess I have this weird thing. Like I have a I guess I have a lot of friends who songwriters who have died, and I have this weird sense of like. I'm not going to talk about this particular one. I won't say who it is, but I have a friend who's a songwriter who died, and he wrote songs that were reveled in his own obsession with death that I feel like when I promote them, his family must be... If they hear it, they don't like it because no one wants to hear that stuff. But my loyalty to the songwriter is like, I'm sorry, but no offense to the family, but... Fuck the family. I care about the songwriter. If I if I died, I wouldn't want people being like, "Oh, his mom's gonna feel bad right. if you if we talk about how we sang about Christmas cunnilingus or whatever <laughs> shit that I sang about." I don't want ever anyone to ever think about that. I want people to love the songs. And as a songwriter, I think that there's a kind of like the art is all that matters. Like whatever happened to him, we're all gonna like it's we all have a sad story. But very few of us have great records. Mm. If you have a great record that makes you think something that expands your mind about the story about that person, then you've done the work. You know, and that's why to the fact that we that we're here in 2019 and you're playing his song and telling his story. And if he hadn't done that, he would would, you either wouldn't be telling the story or quite possibly not. Right. So and I love that that Art Bell was did Art Bell introduce you to this guy? No. Uh, I I only somebody handed me a copy of the reissue and said, "Check this out." Wow! Give it back when you're done. Yeah, because <laughs> there aren't that many. Of them. So okay, so but let's get into the interpretation. That's a phenomenal story. I will post whatever links I can so that you can follow this. Maybe if you have any ideas, you can send me some links that I can post. Sure. So Bart, thoughts about the story or about how it answers your question, either or both. Okay. Well. Um... The song uh, seems to be uh, relating to, like, a train station. Uh, It's a love song for someone who is kind of out of reach, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I don't think about the love aspect of the song as much. Really? Yeah. What do you you think I hear a straight song about he's uh he's having an experience of deja vu because he is re- a reincarnation and oh. he's perceiving somebody else from a reincarnation and the train is a is a typical metaphor for a 
reincarnation. Oh, it like is. the bird song, Yesterday's Train. Right. Did you meet someone on Yesterday's Train? Yesterday's, yesterday's Train. Yesterday's Train is right. rolling. So he's saying, I know you from before. It's a. It's about reincarnation, as far I mean, my yeah. interpretation. Okay. And so he knows somebody that he's. What I've, I don't. What's the lyric? Uh, you know somebody. Uh, whatever. Some time ago. Right. It says something like that. The, the lyric is like someone you've only just known. Do you know the feeling when you love someone you've never met? Or uh, I can't. Sorry, I'm misquoting yeah. the song I just sang. But yeah. So that would be uh, right. Right. So, so how can we tie that in really with like your I've, tax returns? I, I got mean, it. I've totally got it. But okay. But, so take it. So tell me what it like. Rather, rather than trying to figure it out, because I got the easy answer. That's my job. I host this show. I've been right, of for course. Twenty years. So, but what is like? What did it? How did it ping for you? Even if it's fanciful or it doesn't, you don't feel like it's the exact answer. What? What? What was your instinct? Well, I, I, I you know. At first listen, I wasn't really picking up on the reincarnation thing, but now that you've explained it to me, it makes absolute sense, and that's what the song is about. And I was just more hearing, like, you know, something to do with a lady on a train. So, uh, you know, now that I'm, you know, that I've been made aware of what the song really is about, I feel like that has to be a huge part of how we interpret the answer. And it seems like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's something to do with um, we've been we've been here before, right? Like we've we've uh, like when I when I do my taxes and I get an answer as 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 to whether or not they're going to owe me a refund, right? It's going to be, the answer is that whatever happens is going to be something I've seen before. <laughs> okay. So I, I got right, go. I got a lot yeah. here. I got it. So first of all, first impressions, you're like the guy at the train station at the whistle stop waiting for the return, the tax return, the return. So you're there, the you're train. waiting for the return. You're waiting for this, this the lady on the train, the woman, the the, the person on the train to come back, to come back, like the return of your tax. It's very very literal to me. Yeah. So, but the reincarnation factor makes me think of. Forgive me. This is fanciful. This is just the way I go. It's especially when we're this deep into the experience. But I'm thinking about reincarnation without representation. We're talking about tax, taxation without representation, but this is a case. But this guy's case is a case of reincarnation without representation. <laughs> we don't know. Like there's this mystery. You're in this right. place of mystery. Was it a crime? Was it a crime? Was it his doing, or was it just the synchronicity of things conspiring to make his al- album seem prescient? And just some random shit happened to him, and now we all get to play with it. So it's like the tax. The the, the tax codes are a mystery. Like. You don't like there's not some place you can go and look at. Okay, so the Republicans passed this tax code and now we can look at it. And what is this thing? Or the Democrat, whoever passed the tax. The tax code is a mystery, like the the workings of the universe. Right. So you don't like you. You're you. If I asked you what your finances were, you could probably tell me once you've done the work, you could tell me what you've made. 
mm-hmm. what you've spent. Right. But you will have no idea what you get back, and whatever you get back, you're going to be like. Uh, it's like you know you're like in, you're like in, you're, you're like in your first years of gigging. What do I? What did I make? You're right. <laughs> Whoever, whatever they give you is what you made. Mm-hmm. Right. You right. don't have you haven't figured out how to monitor who comes right. into the show. You're just like, right. oh, I made 50 bucks. Yeah, I guess we made 50 bucks. Wait, were there 200 people? there? <laughs> like, yeah. Right. OK, I guess you know, we're a band. We're the loved ones. We're going to we each get, you know, 1250. Right? And yeah. And, and, and not and even ha- that. You were five piece. Sorry. And, and <laughs> having bucks. done so much work as a musician and, uh, you know, so, having so many 1099s and so much income that I'll owe on. Right. Uh, it's actually been a pleasant surprise uh, to get any return at all, any refund. Um, because, uh, you know, it's been a pleasant surprise, even if it's just like usually a very small refund, because for me, I know that there's a lot of earnings that I owe tax on. So, um, uh, you know, just, I guess the idea that, uh, we're sort of waiting for this, uh, person to come back on the train Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, like waiting for your taxes to come back. But who knows? Maybe this time around, like Jim Sullivan, nothing, 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 nothing comes home. <laughs> Up in smoke. Yeah. Well, and I, I would love someone to do because you know W is a very is a is a big deal in tax codes. Like your W nines and mm-hmm. W fours, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. Don't know. Yeah. 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 So it made me think, I don't know, like someone who knows, I, I'm curious if someone who knows tax code, if like there are tax attorneys who are listening to this and they're just like, oh my God, my mind is so fucking blown. How do they not know? Whistle stop totally answers the question. That guy is not getting any money. He's totally getting paid. You know, like, well, we could call a CPA. Right? Well, we, you know, we don't need to. They just, you know, they can listen to it at their leisure. Okay. They can listen to it at their leisure. We, we, There's no way we can ever get all of the answers because of the context that's out there. But, but I felt like, you know, like, as I'm saying, I feel like there was a ton, there was a lot of reflection there of like you at the station waiting for your money to arrive from the East. Yeah. Right. That's a very Western idea. Right. 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 Exactly. And so I think in the end, the answer is that I think the answer is probably no, but that it will, it will. I'm I'm not gonna get a refund, but when I get my tax return done, I'm gonna look at it and go, well, that makes total sense, and that looks like some year, many years past the ret- like. Yeah, it's the return of me not getting a refund. <laughs> <laughs> Because many, you know, let's go, if we just went back a few years, I'm sure there was a year I got no refund. You see? Really? Sure. Yeah. I can't believe it. I don't believe that there's, I mean, maybe your career is is that good, but I have a few, like every artist I know, there's more money out. Well, if you're an independent contractor. Yeah. You're like the cost of your, on well, your there was expenses. a year that I Airfares and your, and your mileage. There was and, a year that I owed like three grand or something. That's insane. Although I, I'm actually never mind. I'm so I'm so glad that you had a year where you were making enough money that you owed money. It was in the '90s. That was a good year. Yeah, but that was a good year. Yeah, 
was shitty at on April. But I hope April. I don't know that much because you know that would be a hardship for me mm-hmm. at this point. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I if 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 they're trying to pay for this wall with songwriters' <laughs> taxes, no, no, they're not. Yeah. Well, they are. They clearly they are. Not just songwriters. They know, garbage men and you know, who is this they baristas. <laughs> We've asked that. That's been a question on a previous show, but you have to come back for that one, Bart. Who is they? Yeah. Oh, that's been a question. Yeah. I like that question. That's yeah. cool. You know, uh, Who you asked know, that? There, you ever go to the Tuesday night uh, scene at the at Cantor's? The Kibitz Room? Yeah. No. I. You would love it, Bart. You'd both love it. They, those people are are just as much of, as nerdy about music as we are, and they just really cut it up. Great musicians. So Jordan Summers, who's the keyboard player, plays down there. He's with the band All Day Sucker. And uh, that was his question. And what was great was that we totally mis- misinterpreted it. When he said, who are, like when people say they are going to are gonna do something, who are the they? And to me, I thought that it was a nefarious, like, the they that control things. He was <laughs> like, secret thing. no, no, he's like, the they that, like, are going to make sure that I, you know, that water comes into my house. Like there's some, there's all these yeah. days out there that make sure that I can have the life that I live. Right. Who are they? And I just love that we both, like that's a, right. that we both had such an inter- different interpretation of even one word. Right. Anyway. Nice. Um, Bart, any artist that you ever want, the you ever want to have on Radio 8 Ball, just send them our way. All Joe right, send them to or you. Day? It's the shit. And you just keep one after another sending me great. I, yeah. Anytime I come up short, I always know. Hey, thanks. Those are the best. Those are the like those are going to be the best shows when I can't find another booking. And I'm like, hey, Bart, do you know someone who's a great songwriter? He's like, oh, yeah. Check out this guy with a mustache singing in front of these pines. He didn't say that. I said that when I saw it. I was like, oh, Bart knows what I love. <laughs> Trees and mustaches and guitars. <laughs> these are my three well, favorite things. good stuff. Yeah. So All right. Thank you, Bart, for introducing me to this great songwriter. Well, thank you, and I'll see you. Uh, yeah, you're going to be part episode. of the Kinks episode that comes up next week. Okay. So stick around for that. Great. Right. You're going to play some tunes. Don't tell what they are. Right. Two Kinks tunes. Two Kinks mm. songs. I will not say which. Mm. Oh, I'm so excited about them. Though we have a great a show coming from. up for that. What a lot of yeah. great songs. Yeah. Yeah. You know which record I like that is just Muswell Hillbillies. No. Schoolboys in Disgrace. Oh, you're killing me. I love Schoolboys. <laughs> I'm in disgrace. Is it disgrace? Wow. I love that record. Oh, man. Young and Innocent Days. You're yeah, killing but if me. you play it, if you play it out of context for anybody, just say or, or like someone walks into the room and you're listening to it. For example, the song was, It wasn't lost. It wasn't great. an education. <laughs> uh, even Aborigines education. <laughs> Someone walks in and, listen, and, and, and yeah. you're listening to that. They're going like, what the hell's wrong with you? What are you doing? I love... Like, you gotta you gotta sit with it for a while. It yeah, creeps yeah. up on you. This guy, I love... That's three. That you're three for three. You have talked about three of the things that I that whenever I talk about, I get stone faced. Lowell George, <laughs> Pete Townsend demos, and now Schoolboys in Disgrace. <laughs> it's one of my top six. It's it's probably yeah. number six in my Kinks. There's great catalog. great melodies on that oh, track. 
So, you, are you familiar with this record? Are you? No, I've seen the cover. Oh, yeah. in the it's record little, store. It's yeah. It's the it's record a is kid getting spanked. Yeah, <laughs> that and soap opera to me are like this this one two punch of just amazing yeah. post like at, at when everyone left the Kinks. I'm yeah. like, I'm gonna stick around for just a little bit more. Right. <laughs> wow. yeah, right. I like this Joe Borday guy. He's really yeah. good. No more looking right. back is oh, a killer cut off that one. And so that good. one I wouldn't be embarrassed if Not I was at all. playing it and someone walked into the room. Yeah. Really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there has to be something on the album that's not. You know what? I'm you know what? We still have <laughs> right one more Hey, wait. We still have one more song. Do you want to do All a right. Schoolboys in Disgrace song? You want to come down and do a Schoolboys in Disgrace song? Uh, what's the date? 2 days from now, the 27th. Yeah. Uh is that a Wednesday? Yeah. Uh I have plans on that night. Maybe I can move them. Okay, we'll, we'll talk. We'll, try, we'll figure we'll out. That. But oh my god, if someone wanted to do a Schoolboys in Disgrace song, <laughs> oh, it'd be great. Okay. Well, Bart, uh, I encourage people to check out Bart's music. We talked about Bart and the Bedazzled Blue Motel. I will post links to Bart's episode on Radio 8 Ball. I already sang the praises of his so- of his first solo record and all of all of Bart's records. If you can find a Kinetics record or a Loved Ones record, do yourself a favor and find it. it. What? Nothing. Just Burn it? <laughs> no. And are the kinetics? You, did you, how? Wait, quick before you go. How did the kinetics show go in Spain? It was fine. Did you have fun? Yes. Good. That's check them out, folks. It was it. It was a, a life changing band for me, and I wasn't even in it. I'm sure it was amazing for the people who were there. Definitely changed our lives. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, thank you, Bart, and we'll see you. Well, yeah, we'll you'll be we'll be spending a bunch of time with you this week, so. I'll be right back. I just have to go to the toilet. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Bart. That's a good place to end it. All right. Cool. Thanks for listening to Radio 8 Ball. We hope today's musical divination brings and brought the sync to you wherever you are. For more info about our show, visit Radio8Ball.com, where you'll find the Radio 8 blog, our Patreon campaign, and where you can download our Radio 8 Ball app that allows you to engage the pop oracle directly in the form of every song ever performed in the history of Radio 8 Ball. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you give us good reviews and ratings, that really helps get the word out. Until next time, I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. It's the Radio 8 Ball Try to